Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is your host, David Began. I've got a great guest with me today. It's Bruce Tolgren. He's an internationally recognized expert on young people in the workplace and one is a leading expert in leadership and management. Bruce has written a lot of great books. He's a best-selling author, and he's definitely an advisor for a lot of businesses and business leaders all over the world. And he's also a well-sought-after keynote speaker and management trainer. Um, since 1995, Bruce has worked with tens of thousands of leaders in organizations ranging from Aetna to Walmart, from the U.S. Army to the YMCA. And uh, his recent books uh, include, which I love this title, Not Everyone Gets a Trophy, How to Manage the Millennials. So I'm going to ask him about that. Bridging the Soft Skills Gap, How to Teach the Missing Basics to Today Young Talent. And he's also the author of The 27 Challenges Managers Face. And a book called It's Okay to Be the Boss, which I think is great. That's a great title for a book. Uh, before he founded his company called Rainmaker Thinking in 1993, Bruce was a, a practice law in Wall Street, and he's a member of the Massachusetts Bar. He's a karate expert, so don't mess with him if you see him on the street. And his greatest credential is his wife, Debbie Applegate, uh, won a Pulitzer Prize in 2007 for her biography work on a book called The Most Famous Man in America, the biography of Henry Ward Beecher. So that's very cool, Bruce, that you include that on your bio. I think it's great. So thanks. Yeah, well, gosh, uh, thanks so much for introducing me and thanks for mentioning my wife's book. Yeah, she won the Pulitzer Prize. Can you believe that? It's that my, is, number one, my number one credential. Yeah, that's terrific. I'm, I'm sure she was just stunned when she was uh, told that she had won. So that's terrific. Yeah, she was. It was amazing. They just called her and said, um, you know, congratulations, you won the Pulitzer Prize. She was like, that's, what? <laughs> that's great. That's great. So you, you've been a transfer. I always like to talk to people running their own business because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs or business owners or managers. How did you make the transition from practicing law to what you're doing today? Well, you know, I was a relatively unhappy young lawyer uh, working at number two Wall Street in New York City um, in the early 90s. And uh, I got curious about the experience of my generation. You know, this was back when I was young, when Generation Xers were the young people in the workplace. And uh, uh, we had this reputation, I guess, as being a bunch of young slackers. So I started doing interviews with young people and I set out to write an article called What Your Young Employees Are Whispering About Over Lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, but that turned into a book called Managing Generation X. And uh, that was my ticket out of there. <laughs> so, Great. you know, that book did pretty well. That was back in the early 90s. Uh, everybody's heard of that book because there were more news stories about that book than the number of books that, that have been sold. But, uh, uh, but, but uh, anyway, that book, Managing Generation X, it was the right thing at the right time. Yeah, good, good. That's, that's a good deal. So it got enough traction and got, got you going in your consulting and speaking business, which I think is great. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I'm on the tail end of the baby boomer. So I'm like a year or two within the baby boomer frame, but it's, it's sometimes difficulty to try to figure out when we talk about these different groups, generation X, generation Y, what are we calling the new group? Millennials, I think. Well, they're, they're, you know, uh, demographers, demographers differ about the exact parameters of each generation. 
um, you know, the working definitions of the youngest people are always kind of in flux, but um, the, the, the youngest, least experienced people are those born after the millennials, those born 1997 and later. Right. Um, people seem to be calling them Generation Z. Those born uh, 1978 to 1996 are, the, are millennials, but that's such a big group. We split the millennials into two groups. So those born 1990 to 96, we call second wave millennials. And then those born 1997 and later are post millennials. But, you know, it depends on which expert you ask. But we've been tracking this stuff for 25 years now. And those are the definitions that we use. Right. And so what are some of the characteristics? I know when you start characterizing those groups, I know that we get some broad broad stroke definitions of millennials, but what, what are, is, is that what you specialize in? Are you specializing in generation Z as well? Or, well, you know what we track generational change in the workplace, but I'm not one of these guys who, you know, at the end of my seminar, you have a cheat sheet. So you say, Oh, okay. You know, uh, let me see your driver's license. Okay. Now I see your birth date. Uh, okay. Now, uh, now I can get out my checklist for how to manage you. You know, here's how you manage the grownups. Here's how you manage the young upstarts. Here's how you manage the people in the middle. That's not me. Uh, we, we look at the generational lens uh, to understand the changing workplace, the changing workforce. And of course we do profile each generation. So like my book, not everyone gets a trophy is about, young workers and it does zero in on some of the micro trends like uh, helicopter parenting on steroids uh, young people learning how to think learn and communicate while attached to handheld supercomputers um, and all you know the the sort of uh, we're all winners cultural ethos but but more more what my clients look to us for uh, is to help them understand sure where are people coming from where are they going and and of course i make vast generalizations about tens of millions of people at a time but our primary work is on helping our our clients understand the changing workplace the changing workforce where is the workforce going you know people of all ages uh, are thinking more short-term and transactional people of all ages um, uh, are communicating uh, more and more and learning more and more with handheld supercomputers. People of all ages think like free agents when it comes to their working lives and careers. So in a way, it's like we're all millennials now. So the millennial crowd. So the one thing I see, so I want to talk to you about management as well, because I I, I could use a ton of help in managing and trying to figure out how to manage more effectively. But when we talk about millennials as a group, did we, as the helicopter parents, did we ruin them? Did we change them? Or or is, is what we did for the best? Is it for the worst? I know it seems like we're having difficulty integrating millennials into the workforce. So the workforce that I want, right, since I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, and I, I grew up in a different era. I had a different set of standards. You know, the, the way we interacted with our boss was much different than the way millennials want to interact with, with authority and management. Did we do ourselves a disservice by raising our kids the way we did? Well, you know, uh, I sometimes say to my clients, you broke them, you bought them, you know. <laughs> but, you know. Look, you know, until like the mid 80s, parents saw their role, at least in part, as breaking their child's will to make them humble before God and the world. Right. So, right. you know, uh, and and, um, you know, sometime in the mid to late 80s, uh, uh, humanistic psychologists 
uh, and their research on childhood self-esteem hit the worlds of parenting, teaching, and counseling. And by the 90s, parenting, teaching, and counseling really took a turn. It was focused more and more on building up the self-esteem of our children, telling everyone they're winners, whether they're winning or not. And, and then, you know, by the 2000s, when uh, things were seeming more and more dangerous, frankly, for children and for people of all ages, you know, parents took that self-esteem-based parenting to the next level, and it's like every parent is trying to do everything they possibly can to give their kid a strategic advantage in the world. So, uh, and look, you know, when they're in school, they're the customer. And if the school doesn't treat them like a good customer, they're going to hear from the parents about it. So right. uh, by the time they get to the workplace, it's often the first time they're not the customer in the relationship. You know, it's the first time, hey, like, we're paying you, not the other way around. You know, and so look, you know, a lot of myths about today's young workers. I mean, the idea that young people want to be humored at work. uh, I don't buy that. I think they want to be taken seriously. Um, The idea that young people want everything on a silver platter. I don't buy that. Uh, I think they want to know, what do you want from me today, tomorrow, this week? What do I need to do to earn that thing I need? You know, so young people may show up on day one. They want to hit the ground running. They, 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 they start making requests and suggestions and demands on day one. Uh, but if they're doing that, then you hired the right person because that means this person's into it, you know? Right, right. And it's interesting because... When, when I started work, I mean, my modeling was my parents who were the children of the Depression era in the 1930s, and you didn't question authority. You did your job, you did it as best as you can, and you didn't question what you were being asked to do, or, or you didn't question authority, and the idea was to keep your job for a long period of time. Nowadays, you know, kids kids are not like that. They like to question. They, they want to know what's going on. They don't, they don't, hesitate to question authority if they don't like what's happening you've the interesting dynamic we have in the large or even large or small organizations is now you got between two and three generations of different types of workers that are together and the old guys like me are really you know frustrated with the young guys because they want balance of life they want quality they want lots of time off they want flexibility And I think, well, that's not the way I paid my dues. You know, I did whatever I had to do for 20 years to get where I'm at. And how does that dynamic work in an organization? I'd be interested if you've got any any insight into that. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, for one thing, you know, depending on how you define the generations, there are four or five or six generations working side by side. You know, there's still people born before the baby boom. There's first wave boomers, second wave boomers, Gen Xers, first wave millennials, second wave millennials, Gen Z. So it's, a, you know, it's, 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 it's very diverse generationally. And of course, the younger the person, the more they're coming in without that old fashioned work ethic. Uh, but uh, the reality is that uh, most young people, they, they, they think short term and transactional about their employment relationships. Um, It used to be that people thought long-term and hierarchical. You hit your wagon to the star of an established organization, you pay your dues, you climb the ladder, you do as you're told, you keep your head down, you keep your mouth shut, you wait for your boss to notice you, and you wait for the system to take care of you. Um, But nobody 
thinks long-term and hierarchical anymore. Even the oldest, most experienced people, you know, uh, there's nothing like having a lot of seniority to be pretty attached to seniority, but right. even older, more experienced people are thinking more short-term and transactional because, you know, it's not just about the uh, attitudes of a bunch of young upstarts. It's really about fundamental changes in the economy, fundamental changes in the workforce, fundamental changes in the labor market. Um, the labor market itself has become much more fluid. You know, back in the late 80s, it was management experts and business leaders who decided uh, that they had to kill the myth of job security. You know, it's not the millennials or the post-millennials who came along and said, this whole job security thing, we don't like it. Uh, you know, it was the business leaders and management experts who killed job security over the last 20 years so that young people, uh, you know, they want to know, what do you want from me today, tomorrow, and this week? What do you have to offer me today, tomorrow, and this week? Uh, don't tell me what you have for me in two or three or four or five or 10 years. You know, that sounds like a fantasy. Right. No, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt about that. And I would think that we're, as the older generation, we're learning things from our younger counterparts, and then hopefully our younger counterparts are learning things from us. I, I get frustrated with the younger generation, but I'm a little jealous that they're taking a different approach to how they're, they're to a different approach to their work and their career. They're, they're taking a little bit more of a mercenary approach to it. They probably have a lot better work-life balance than I did when I was growing up. And there is a little bit of jealousy there. So there are some things to be learned, I think, from the younger generation. And hopefully the merging of the, the generations together is making organizations better. Yeah, and where they're coming from uh, is where we're all headed. You know, they're, they're like canaries in the coal mine. I mean, one of the things about keeping your finger on the pulse of the new young workforce is this is where we're all headed. Uh, nobody trusts the system to take care of them in the long term anymore. Uh, people of all ages are thinking more short-term and transactional. It's just that, you know, if you're 50 or 60 or whatever and you've been around for a while, you got a lot more cards in your hand. So right. that attitude looks a lot better better on a grown-up. Right, right. No, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And I think, I think we're all going to be better for it. And I think they are teaching us. And we learned the hard lessons in the 1980s and 1990s when there was massive layoffs in these companies where the social contract was, if you did keep your head down and you did what you were told, you were guaranteed employment for as long as you wanted it. Well, that contract got broken. But then that went away, right? It went away. It went away. And it, it, was, it was devastating for a lot of people, but I think it was a good wake-up call to the rest of us that, you know, it's not, that, that contract's not there anymore. And, but it, it gives us the flexibility to kind of bounce around and find what we want to do and do many, many different types of jobs throughout our career. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, what we do is we try to help employers uh, hire the best people, uh, drive performance, and retain the best people longer. And that's our focus. And, um, you know, what we tell business leaders in every industry is you've got to figure out what kind of culture you want to have. You know, do you want to have a culture where it's just a job? Or do you want to have a culture where you set yourself apart in in, in you become an employer of choice, not just by doing more for people. It's not the, the way to become an employer of choice is not to say, Hey, come to work whenever you feel like it and bring your dog. Right. right? It's, it's rather like, you know, we are special forces here. We, we get it done. We're a superstar environment where, uh, 
everybody here tries to go the extra mile. And that's why uh, we have uh, um, such special rewards for people. Right. No, I think that's a great point. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to FocusedCarWash.com. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about management because so many of us business owners struggle with being good managers because I've heard that if you're an entrepreneur or a business creator, it doesn't necessarily make you a great manager. And I've always tried to wonder, is management a, a skill you sort of have innately or is it something you can learn to be effective at? But I've always, I personally have always struggled being a great manager because I'm, I'm impatient. I want things done right away. I want things done my way. I kind of have that, that business owner attitude which sometimes doesn't make for a good manager. What, what are your thoughts? Well, look, um, you know, there are plenty of entrepreneurs who are also good at leading and managing individuals, but entrepreneurship is a different skill set from leadership and management. Uh, and it's also the case that, sure, there are some people who are natural leaders, um, but I think they're far and few between, you know. Um, and, um, and I think even if you're a natural leader, so, okay, if you're a natural leader, that means you, you have that special infectious charisma. You can light the fire in someone else's belly. Uh, you get people psyched about your mission. But frankly, uh, what's missing in nine out of 10 management relationships is not leadership with a capital L. Uh, it's really a leadership with a small L. It's, mm -hmm. it's the fundamentals of management that are missing in almost every workplace and almost every management relationship. What we look at is, you know, are managers spending time guiding, directing, supporting, and coaching their people uh, every day, every other day, uh, twice a week? Are they having regular structured conversations uh, where they teach and coach, where they spell out expectations, where they follow up, follow up, follow up, uh, where, they, where they monitor, measure, and document performance, troubleshoot, problem solve, resource plan, hold people accountable? You know, it's the basics uh, that are missing in most management relationships. It's managers who spend time in regular structured team huddles and in regular structured one-on-ones with, with every person, uh, making sure that they know what to do and how to do it and that they're getting uh, good feedback and good uh, direction every step of the way. You know, that's, that's just the basics. And, and that's what's missing in most, uh, in most uh, workplaces. Yeah, yeah. And one of the big mistakes I think we make out in the car wash industry, we'll take somebody who's a good worker, we say, hey, you want to be a shift leader? And then we take somebody who's a decent shift leader, say, hey, you want to be a site manager? And we put these people in roles where they don't have any experience, and they definitely don't have any training then then we, we get what we get. And most times it's a lot less than what we need in terms of management training. Yeah, look, but, we put people in positions of supervisory responsibility because they're very good at their job. They've demonstrated a commitment to stick around for a while. They've shown some professional maturity. So we put them in charge of other people. Uh, and often we teach them how to do a little extra paperwork, but we, we, we don't teach them how to do the, the people work. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, 
most people gravitate to their own style, their path of least resistance or what they've seen other people do. And typically what they do is relatively hands-off. So most managers, what they do is they manage by touching base. How's everything going? Is everything on track? Are there any problems I should know about? They manage by saying, hey, let me know if you need me. I'm just a phone call away or my door is always open. So then they invite what we call management by interruption. Right. Uh, they, they say, oh, I'll see you on the emails, you know, uh, and so they're trying to wade through emails and, and chime in in a meaningful way. Maybe they're in some team meetings together or something. But what happens is there's a lack of high structure, high substance communication. And, and you put your finger right on the, on the issue. We teach people how to do, we teach new managers how to do a little extra paperwork, but we don't do enough to teach them how to do the people work. And, uh, it, you know, if you think about the organizations that are great at leadership and management, uh, I always point to the United States Armed Forces. You know, you, every position you move into, as you get promoted up the chain of command, uh, from the lowest level of leader, fire team leader, uh, they teach you the basics of coaching style leadership. Uh, they, they don't teach you to light the fire in someone else's belly. They teach you the basics uh, of supervision. They teach mm -hmm. you how to make expectations clear, uh, how to track performance, uh, how to provide guidance and direction and troubleshooting. They teach you the basics. And, um, and by the way, they do everybody a favor by also teaching everyone how to follow. So, you know, the if you look at the military, if the military is sort of the the most um, airtight leadership culture of any organization I've ever worked with. Right. Uh, I can give you plenty of examples in retail of good, good uh, uh, leadership cultures, but the military is a great example because it's so, it's so rock solid. Right. Uh, and, and the two things they do are they teach everyone how to follow and they teach anyone who moves into a leadership role, the basics of supervision. That, that's a great point that you say, we think about teaching people how to lead. We know that's, that's something we've got to do, but we don't teach, we don't even think about teaching people to follow. And that, that is such a great point that most people don't know how to be good, good followers or how to be part of a team and what their role is on that team. Yeah. And you know, one of my books, um, t uh, Bridging the Soft Skills Gap, How to Teach the Missing Basics to Today's Young Talent, um, I've got a whole section in there about how to teach followership. You know, how do you teach people to go into a new situation and, and appreciate context, understand who's who and what's what, you know, these folks, they've all been here for, for X amount of time. They, they all play this role in relation to the mission. Uh, where, do they, where are they coming from and what is the situation I'm walking into? We call that appreciating context. And then how do I practice good citizenship here? You know, citizenship is very context specific. So in one organization, uh, the elements of good citizenship uh, may be very different from another organization. Um, but, but typically it's, you know, come on time or early, stay a little late, work diligently, um, uh, communicate and collaborate with others. Uh, the basics of good citizenship here uh, at work, wearing your uniform, whatever it is. Um, and then a service mindset. Uh, the idea that, you know, you focus on what you bring to the table and then teamwork. 
but all of this is is about how to play your role on the team, how to play your role in relation to leaders. And if you think about something like, you know, when somebody signs up, again, I use the, the military as an example, the Marines boot camp. You know, the first thing that happens when you walk through that portal on day one is they grab a hold of you. And for 13 weeks, they, they, they teach you how to be part of that uh, how, that organization, how to be a Marine. They, they teach you how to play your part, how to, and essentially how to follow. Right. Uh, so, so before anyone has to lead anyone, uh, the first thing they do is teach everyone good followership. And, and that's a missing piece in a lot of organizations. What I always tell my clients, and so look, if you're running a retail organization, um, uh, one of the most important things is when you are hiring, um, it, it's so hard to hire good talent right now uh, that it's, it's, you end up selling people all the way into the job. You got to sell people up to the door and then try to scare them away. Then once you, once you find somebody who really wants to work there, even when you tell them all the downsides of the job, right? You try to scare them away by telling them all the downsides of the job. See who's left, mm -hmm. right? They're the ones who are worth really investing in. And then you got to do an intensive onboarding, um, you know, even if it's one day or two days or three days, teach them not just how to do the job, but how to be a good citizen, uh, how to be part of the team, how to, how to, how to, how to interact with their leaders uh, in the organization. Uh, and then you've got to make sure that managers at every level uh, are managing like a coach, like a teacher, that, that they're not just following the path of least resistance, but that they're committing to a daily structured uh, coaching style communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when I hear this, I, I, I had had a similar background as you. I came from a big corporate environment and then started my own business. And I realized just as a small business owner, I, I really lack the resources necessary. I, I hear what you're saying. And I love it. But I find myself overwhelmed by thinking about how do I develop and how do I implement a good management leadership training program for my guys. What would you say to the smaller micro business owner who's feeling like I do and say, I've got too much on my plate. I don't have the time. I really want to do this, but how do I go about it? Well, I'd say you don't have time not to do it because when, when you're not putting time and energy um, into your selection and onboarding, and when you're not requiring leaders at every level uh, to practice the basics of, of management, Problems occur that never had to occur. Problems get out of control that could have been solved easily. Resources are squandered. People go in the wrong direction for days, weeks, or months on end without even realizing it. Low performers hide out and collect paychecks. Mediocre performers mistake themselves for high performers. High performers get frustrated and think about leaving. And managers have a harder time delegating. So I always say to leaders, you think you don't have time. If you don't have time, you don't have time not to dedicate uh, a, a substantial amount of time and energy to managing because that's high leverage time. Uh, so look, here's what you do. Uh, look at your selection process. Uh, there are very few shortcuts for selection. The best shortcut you can possibly use is once you have someone who really wants to come work for you, try to scare them away. Tell them all the downsides of the job. See who's left. That's the only shortcut I know in hiring. Uh, then do good behavioral interviewing. Once you get somebody on board, uh, you 
got to get them on board. Uh, think of boot camp, even if it's three days. Uh, teach them how to do the job. Teach them how to be a good citizen. Teach them how to be part of the team. Teach them how to interact with their managers. And then anybody who's a team lead, anybody who's a site manager, uh, you've got to audit uh, how they are managing. Uh, you've got to look at their management basics. And, uh, you know, you don't have to send them for an MBA. Uh, what you have to do is, is teach them the basics of high structure, high substance one-on-ones. Tell them have a team huddle every day. Uh, tell them uh, have a one-on-one -on -one with every direct report at least once a week. 15 or 20 minutes is fine. And, and your one-on-ones are about making sure that everyone knows exactly what's expected of them, helping them get better at their job, helping them avoid unnecessary problems, uh, helping them plan resources. Um, what I tell managers is, uh, you know, and, and business owners is, if you commit an hour a day to leading, managing, and supervising, and you get your managers to commit an hour a day to leading, managing, and supervising, think of all the time you'll save in firefighting. I mean, most managers and business owners, I mean, how much time do you spend putting out fires, right? And how many of those fires could be avoided if you were managing properly from the outset? That's a great point. That's a great point. I, I can commit to an hour a day. So you made this easy for me to say, if I can commit to at least an hour a day to try to focus on this, then we should see some benefits. But you know, the car wash industry is very conducive to firefighting because it's a chaotic environment. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of mechanical things going on. There's a lot of employee uh, customer things going on. And so if you're, you know, if you like firefighting, it's a great place to be. But it's hard to get people out of the firefighting mode because it's comfortable into the planning and the structure mode to say, we got to run our business on a very predictable line and structure. Sure. But you know, think of like restaurant kitchens at mealtime. Think about emergency rooms. Uh, think about public safety. Think about military uh, service people in, in a battlefield, right? These are all unpredictable firefighting environments. Think about firefighters. Oh, Think about firefighters. What's the number one thing firefighters spend their time on? It's fire prevention. Right. Right, because it's a whole lot easier to prevent a fire than it is to put one out. So, you know, if you're in an environment with regular firefighting, uh, you know, it, it, it's so much easier to prevent fires than it is to put them out. Uh, most of the fires, you can anticipate them. You know what fires are going to happen. Uh, why not put your time in up front and prevent the fires? Right. That's a you good know, I, I, I often cite um, uh, an underappreciated management guru who was famous for working for the Forest Service. He's a bear. You've probably heard of him. He's a talking bear um, <laughs> named Smokey. And, and he said a lot of really interesting things, but one of them is it's a whole lot easier to prevent a fire than it is to put one out. Right, right. Smart bear. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Very good point. <laughs> So you, you've done a great job. You've got at least five books, I think, out there. If, if somebody wanted to kind of become better acquainted with structure and methodology, what book would you have them read, start with? Um, if they want to get better at, at management, then what would be the book or two that you'd want them to read if they want to better understand the emerging workforce? Well, so for the emerging workforce, um, we have a free white paper on our, on our website that tr uh, called The Great Generational Shift. Uh, it's free. It's completely free. It's at RainmakerThinking.com. And also, uh, we have a free white paper up there called Winning the Talent Wars. 
Um, but uh, the two books that I have uh, about the, the current emerging young workforce, one is called Bridging the Soft Skills Gap. Uh, the other is called Not Everyone Gets a Trophy. And then, but, but just for the basics of management, you know, what our clients uh, uh, and, and, and our clients in retail very often uh, buy this book for, for their managers, uh, it's okay to be the boss. Um, and it's, it's the step-by-step -step program back to the fundamentals of management. Uh, and then the sequel to that one is uh, the 27 challenges managers face. Um, but, uh, but if I were to recommend one book for a manager, leader, supervisor, business owner, of my own anyways, you know, it would be It's Okay to Be the Boss. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's amazing how many young people are, do you find young people reluctant to want to move into management? Well, you know, a lot of young people, there's two things. One, uh, they see their immediate leader, manager, supervisor uh, getting squeezed from all sides, trying to do more and more with less and less, you know, a growing span of control, running around like crazy, solving everybody's problems, and probably not getting tons of reward for it, and also, you know, having tremendous time commitment, and they think, ah, no thanks, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's part of it. The other part of it is, you know, philosophical, uh, I think a lot of young people today, they fall for the myth of empowerment, that somehow the way to empower people is to leave them alone to do things their own way. Whereas I think, you know, that's negligence. Real empowerment is about setting people up for success, uh, making sure they know what's expected of them, making sure they have the tools they need, making sure they have candid feedback so they can keep getting, getting better. I think a lot of young people fall for the myth of fairness, that somehow the way to be fair is to treat everybody exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's fair if you're running a commune, but in a business, <laughs> way, you know, in a business, the way to be fair is to do more for some people and less for others based on yeah. what they deserve. So, and I think, you know, a lot of young people uh, fall for the myth of the self-managed team that, oh, nobody needs to be in charge around here. But the reality is there's no such thing as a self-managed team. You know, if you create a leadership vacuum, either by trying to have a self-managed team or by having weak hands-off leaders who are stuck in their office waiting for the next fire, what happens in a leadership vacuum is not that, that it's a self-managed team, but rather, you know, often cliques form, ringleaders emerge, you get a lot of conflict in the workplace. Uh, so there's no such thing as a self-managed team. The only question is, is, is the person who's in charge the person who should be in charge, or is it a ringleader who's trying to seize control? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I've, I've had experience with that. And it's probably because we didn't have a good management structure. So good point. Well, I've got some books I need to read here uh, <laughs> on your list that I it's something I want to be better at. I, I'm, I've, I'm a self-proclaimed uh, business starter and entrepreneur, but I want to be a good manager. I want to develop a good management team. I want my businesses to be a great place for people to work. So there's things I want to work on on my end. But if people want to get to find out, this has been such a great discussion, Bruce, and I appreciate your time and your, we could go on for hours on this subject, but I appreciate the highlights that you've given me. Oh, yes, but, sir. Thanks so much for including me. Yeah. If people want to find out more information about you, where would you send them to? I mean, our website is rainmakerthinking.com. It's pretty user-friendly. There's, um, if you click to the news feed, uh, you know, we have probably 20 different articles and podcasts and white paper, you know, articles and podcasts and radio interviews there. And then also there's a section on white papers where we have a bunch of free white papers. And so that's a good place to get free information, our website, rainmakerthinking.com. Okay, terrific. I'll, I'll head there. But Bruce, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate the uh the information and maybe we'll do this again in the future. 
Yes, sir. Hey, thanks so much for including me. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.